I, I just remembered trying to explain this to my father. <laughs> he goes, so wait, you paid over $120,000, uh, suffered for six and a half years, and you're telling me you don't want to practice. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that didn't go down. We didn't talk for a couple of years because he was like, so what do I tell people I introduce you as? Uh, those days, entrepreneurship wasn't really a thing. You know, these days you wear the T-shirt, you're cool. It's like, but you're educated. Why are you a business person? You know? And I'm like, but dad, I'm passionate. I'm like, Passionate for what? I can't tell my friends my son is a businessman. You are listening to Concrete Pastures Podcast. I am Nancy Mlemoisisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a space that allows for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We unlock the joys, the laughs, and the bravery that being a dreamer brings. So subscribe and stay a while as we dive into today's episode. I'm so excited to introduce our next guest. He's a dear friend, a mentor to me and so many others. This was an impromptu conversation. I am grateful he was able to make time for us. A little bit about him. He's a five-time serial entrepreneur. He's an author and a tribe builder. His name is Aaron Mashano. He was born in our home country, Zambia. He moved to Australia in 2000 to study law and commerce at the University of Sydney. Over a 15-year period, he worked with the top 200 blue chip companies and gained experience in vocational education training, VET. After founding and failing in numerous startups, he eventually founded a winning formula on how to build his businesses right. Notably, he founded two successful businesses. Papers Plus Consultancy PPC, a broker firm that conducted workplace training for companies and registered training organizations in Australia. PPC supported his clients to generate collectively 12 million worth of new business. Leaders of Tomorrow, LAT, an entrepreneurship training company and labor hire service. It expanded into four states in Australia and upscaled and placed 2,000 plus job seekers into gainful employment. He successfully exited in 2015. Since 2021, he repatriated back to Zambia, where he founded and currently chairs Tribe Corporation Limited with its headquarters in Zambia. The corporation consists of five subsidiary companies in five industries, namely waste management, education, hospitality, farming, and labor hire solutions. During his journey, Aaron recognizes that celebrating great entrepreneurs and honoring entrepreneurships is his calling for sure. Without further ado, please welcome my dear friend, Aaron. How are you? 
super exciting. Very, very well, Nancy. And uh, thank you for that uh, huge uh, introduction. Um, like, I had to uh, steal it somewhere. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like say like, you know, I'm really paying her good money to say that, but it's it's uh, it's all true. And uh, I appreciate you seeing the good side of it, but I'm sure we'll dive into the other side of it of what it takes to also feel successfully. Hoping I can share that as well. So thank you for the introduction. That was very heartfelt. I should have you introduce me everywhere I go. <laughs> I'll be coming. I'll be in your pocket. Don't worry. I'll be in your pocket. Yeah. But welcome. And um, you have been traveling all over the world. Uh, but I'm interested. We are all interested in your journey from Zambia to Australia. How was Zambia for you? I, even though it's from the same country, I'm sure your experience is night and day from mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a great place to start. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's really it's something I wanted to do. I'm sure, I have some space. And uh, maybe that's also part and parcel where the introduction is worthwhile. I uh, was born and raised in Zambia, uh, capital city of Lusaka. Uh, but I was also very fortunate, I would say, uh, to have adventurous parents who maybe back in those days in the 60s or whenever that was, Zambia was going through its independence, uh, nationalism, patriotism, you know, and my, my parents met uh, actually in my hometown in Dola, so the story goes. But uh, they were, my dad was very much from a very poor uh, background, and so was my mom. And so there was just this will to do better. And, you know, I think my dad's a dreamer, the more I see what's been created here. But uh, they took on jobs in Osaka, and that's where I was born. And then we ended up in Papiri, which is another province. That's where my young sister was born. And then there's uh, another place we went to where my other older sister was born. So we started traveling, and I guess that's where this gypsy lifestyle, I'll call it, came in. I always loved going to new places and... Uh, uh, when I was uh, living in Dola, we moved to the farm. So I lived in a lot of places within Zambia and uh, went to different schools, met people, and I think we're just very mobile. And uh, that's, that's really stayed with me my whole life. So that was my Zambian experience. And through that, we always had businesses. We always did side hustles because, you know, this kinship system, uh, there's always kids and uh, relatives, and then you adopt more kids. So we were biological, three of us. But, you know, uh, I always remember sometimes there were nine of us because, you know, my, my dad's brothers or sisters would pass on and just adopt some kids. But one of my really, really dear brothers is uh, Anthony. Uh, he one day, I'm sure. I, co- I consider him my brother. But since we were nine, he lived with us. So I can't really say he's not my brother. But he was uh, my kind of my cousin, technically. But, you know, in Zambia, you just kind of call everyone that. So that, that was me growing up. And... Um, my fondest memories, I would say, were in the Copper Dog where I live now, and uh, I lived on a farm, and that's why I think a lot of my character has been built. So, uh, in a nutshell, that kind of went from about zero to, I'd say, 15, 16, before I started it, wanting to go overseas, yeah. Wow. Uh, what made you decide to leave? So you seem to wow. be having a great life. You're moving from yeah. place to place. Yeah. That's another podcast, but I've never shared this actually. That's a good question. I, without getting into it too much for now, but I'm happy to come back and unpack that one later. We are not. Um, I was, I was, 
No, it, it's its own story. But there was push and pull factors in short. I was very adventurous, very curious about going to places to see how other countries functioned and worked. You know, all of us to some degree see the U.S. where you are now and think, you know, anything is better than here. The movies are very influential. You want to do something else. You think you know if you want to make it big, you go to, you go abroad. Yeah. So I, I sort of obviously subconsciously bought into that, um, but we, we didn't have the resources. We didn't have the wherewithal then. But I was always like masterminding how do I get myself out of here. But the, to, to be honest, I still really had opportunities here. My parents the time call them semi middle class. It's not really class system here, but they're middle class. We went to eventually good schools later. Uh, you know lived in good places and we had we had three square meals most of the time apart from when we were farming sometimes we had some issues there but um, the point was I had a very good friend uh, his name was Nicholas and, uh, this guy I met through high school I went to Mukushi for school and uh, but we were primary school friends uh, went to high school friends and I was very very close to him and uh, basically when we were kind of graduate he was one of those kids you know I've always been entrepreneurial so I'd always try things get into trouble he was the guy he was, he was like my compass he would, he, would, he would you know keep me straighter than I would have been if he wasn't there I'd probably end up locked up somewhere um, and uh, he was just kind of like my guardian angel in some ways I'm very very fond of this guy so uh, what happened was you know when we kind of finished school we had a situation where we, we, I started driving I was one of the early ones but you know, Finally, start driving tractor and all sorts of things. So, I got my license really early. But in this one occasion, I got permission from his parents to go to another city called Dola, Kitwe, which is about 45 minutes from Dola. So, we went out for a nightclub there. And there was two other guys now. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, you're young. Two other guys stole their cars from their parents. And a bunch of us guys, obviously, there was a couple of girls from our school that were there. So, we followed them there. He liked one particular girl and to me I was like making it a personal effort to connect them and hook them up you know that was one of my things because he was also just as shy as I was actually so easier to match make other people than yourself right anyway so long story short uh, back to what made me leave um, along this time I was selling cabbages I was a cabbage boy from the farm so I was keeping myself paying for everything so many crazy stories I could share another time but I really loved working selling cabbages to marketeers at this area called Baluba which is how we were doing Bitcoin and Dollar and when I'd get some money I'd then pick up my mates he was just with me everywhere you know they, they, they were like Batman and Robin type of people and uh, so this particular night when we went out uh, you know the other two guys were not necessarily responsible drivers uh, or licensed drivers they were drinking quite a lot so on the way back some of these girls, there was a miscommunication, so the story goes. They ended up back in Indola where we were. So when we heard this, he says to me, hey, I want to go back to meet this, this girl over there. And I was like, okay, but I was too preoccupied doing something at the time. And so I said, okay, no, I'll, I'll come. But he got impatient, so he jumped in a car with these two other guys, or four or three other guys. And unfortunately, I came maybe 30 minutes later. But I got to the place where I thought these people were, and at the people, I was like, hey, so where's Nick? And like, I wanted to find him. I got really worried. So I said, oh, maybe he ended up being dropped off somewhere. So I tried, you know, those days there was no phones. And I couldn't call his parents. So I went there, just kind of sneaked in to see if he was at the window. He wasn't home. I couldn't say, hey, <laughs> I was irresponsible. But... So unfortunately, Nancy, uh, they were involved in a very bad car accident. Uh, not too far from our farm, car turned over. 
two people were thrown out of the car, died in impact. He was thrown out of the back seat, had a brain damage uh, situation. Uh, you know, I drove up and down, finally uh, found the body. You know, hospital issues were, were not uh, up to scratch, and they're still out in some cases, as you know. But picked up what I could, took him to the hospital. Um, you know, it was a very difficult time, and I think uh, I remember because I was 16. Wow, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's okay. So, what was hard was uh, we had to bury about three of my friends at the same time, and I think in the period he was in a coma for a long time, it was very stressful because he still got to work, come back, check on him. And I don't know because of the way his brain was hit at the same time, damaged it, but he was just repeating my name in this cycle. So it was just one of those really, really traumatic times. But um, we lost him, obviously, up some time. We tried to operate, just things were getting mismanaged, but we didn't make it. And uh, when he came back, it was just one of those very difficult things for me because whatever I did, I did with him. It was just this constant reminder. So there was just this need to just get away. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna go to the capital city. And this is so funny, I'm gonna share this on a podcast, but I'm gonna go to the capital city and just be away from my town. But even there, I still felt it wasn't far enough. So I literally just started going as far away as I could. And then obviously we had plans with him to go abroad, do the whole thing together for university. So I thought, okay, I'm just gonna fulfill my dream with my friend in spirit. And uh, that was kind of like the final pull that just made me go, I'm, I'm doing this. And uh, about 16 and a half or more, jumped on a plane those days to fly out Zimbabwe. Lucky for me, there's a whole crazy other story of an Australian missionary, found me at the farm, supported us to get my paperwork done. Uh, we also got together some money as a family. And by 2000, I landed in Australia on my own with uh, $200 in my pocket and basically do or die from there. So that's that was the that was the journey actually. Um, and I ended up staying longer than I was. There was no holidays. It was just like I'm I'm not going home. <laughs> you know. And that lasted for a good seven years. So yeah. I'm sorry about that. That um it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's all part of the character building times I guess. So you get to Australia, two hundred dollars. Uh, it's similar to my um, my bucks. My mom only gave me two hundred dollars. To... Yeah, yeah. And those days was like travelers' checks or something. I don't know if you. Oh no! She gave me cash. Here's two hundred dollars wow. for ah, you. You were bold. <laughs> ah, you you were richer than but, me. I couldn't even cash the travelers' checks. So no, travelers' checks was as good as cash too. So for, for... mine wasn't signed. I don't know how the whole thing kind of. Don't ask. It was a, it was a mess. I think I still had them for like 10 years. And then I just... Yeah, I know my mom used to have them. And yeah. uh, the first time I saw them, he was like, oh, okay, I guess this is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, my mom gave me um, $200. Wow. wow. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't even get your taxi in some places. <laughs> oh, yeah. the things it we fed don't me think back of. then. Back then it fed me. But before I ran out of money, I had to get a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we have a similar story. That's cool. Yeah, the, maybe it's a Zambian thing to just like, hey, here's 200, do or die, sort yourself out. <laughs> That's your runway. It must be a Zambian send off thing. <laughs> it could be. It could be. It could <laughs> be. Um, so you get to Australia. 
Uh, what was the first thing that you did? Like, who received you? Where oh, you man, that was a rough start. So these same travelers checks. Get it out <laughs> of the plane. I've never been abroad. I mean, like I told you where I came from. I'm a fanboy coming out from Washington. So I get there, I, and I tell the story to everyone. It's like, um, you know, again, I was like, I'm not feeling like... First thing I said was, there's so many white people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was just like, what am I doing here? I really, really felt in a foreign land. And you know, you don't think about it because you're like, yeah, I'm going to go and, you know, Western world, whatever. Yeah. But when I got there, it was culture shock. And then some guy says to me, hey, mate, how you going? I was like, uh, I'm going, I want to go by taxi. What do you mean? No, mate, how you going? You know what I mean? So, so I, I couldn't really do this straight away. But as, those days I couldn't, right? So I was just like, Checking the dictionary, I'm going. I, I, I was told this was an English speaking country. This week, Australia. So that all messed me up. And then I'm trying to explain that I, I needed to go to a boarding house, uh, like a home play. <laughs> place. What's that? Ah, this is just the beginning. It gets worse. So I'm trying to get to this Australian place, right? And then. Um, just tell me to summarize anytime, but this is just traumas after traumas. I'm here for this. So, I'm here for this. Taxi is there, and you know, back where we come from, you start negotiating. So, me, I'm like, okay, so how much to get to this joint? And I was with uh, some other foreigner, refugee looking guy. I won't discriminate what he looked like, but he was definitely not from there. Yeah. And then he goes, uh, yeah, mate, you know, I think it was Australian, but he was like migrant to Australia. I was like, yeah, mate, well, you know, uh, we have a meter. I'm looking. You have a, how many meters is it? What do you mean? He says, no, we have a meter. It's like, uh, back and forth. Then after some time, he goes, okay, all right, how much you got? <laughs> and me, I think, you know, I got 200 travelers checks, right? But you know, you negotiate your distance. So me, I'm like, I don't know how far it is. So I said, don't laugh, it gets worse. So I start negotiating with the guy in dollars. And I'm, I've got quite in my head. So he says, well, how much you got? I was like, oh, well, I've got uh, I say 200 is I need this for food another thing and I was like okay now I've got uh, $50 I goes no no $50 is not enough <sighs> okay 75 <laughs> now here's the point it was like a $10 trip to get there so I don't know how we managed oh yeah sorry sorry I think I had 250 $50 was cash so we negotiate somehow and then he says okay I'll take the 50 then knowing full well it was $10 so he, I jump in the taxi. Me, I think I've done a good deal. He takes me, and he takes me the roundabout way because Concord West and the airport are very, very close together. And so this meter's off. The dude's made some money. I get there, and then uh, drops me off wherever this place with the homestay. I jump out of the homestay. I get to the place. Me, I think I've done a great deal. Talk to the homestay after some time. And we're, you know, we're talking, having dinner. And the guys go, how much did you pay for your taxi? I said, uh, $50. It was really good. We negotiate. You negotiate? You don't negotiate. There's a meter. I was like, but I, I didn't know how many meters it was. So I couldn't negotiate. He says, no, there's a meter. It's like, tick. I was like, dude, too much. I, I slept with a headache that day. And I'm like, $50 now. And then there's like, oh, by the way, you got to buy a ticket. It's $50 to get to university and back and all these places for your registration. And I'm like, uh, is that like uh, for a month? And I said, no, no, that's like for a week. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, the whole thing. Oh, and then you got to pay your deposit for your homestead. I said, how much is that? Oh, well, it's like $150. So 
You ran there out of money. That's what happened. Well, no, and then I gave them the traveler's checks and they couldn't work. So I had to work my way for like six months to pay them. <laughs> oh my God. So I stayed there longer than I wanted to, but that, that was my Australian first day. It, it, was, it was chaos. Absolutely chaos, man. Stressed out of the wazoo. It was funny. So that, that, was, that was my first day. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. How was school? But you, then? How was college? How was the university when you finally got into the university? Yeah, so I, oh, that's a funny story too. But uh, there's just too many. But the, the funny thing is you come with your IGCSEs, right? Yeah. You think, because, you know, the A-level thing, and I did okay, you, you go to first year uni or second or something, you know, and that's what I thought. And that's how the paperwork kind of made it out because I got accepted into Sydney University. But they have a foundation course, and now it's commonplace. But those days... There was another 11,950. I remember that because I was like, I had to go through foundation here because they were like, you could have made your school, your, your qualifications up because you're from Africa. And that's kind of where some of these like, you know, you, you don't think it's discrimination. You're just thinking, ah, these guys are just crap. They want me to pay something. So I was like, okay, listen, I'm a dishwasher now. So listen, how much just to get me through? Let's <laughs> not try to bribe the guy. Like, yeah. you know, we, we don't do that sort of thing here, you know. But you have to do the foundation here. So I ended up not going to uni. I had to do another nine months to pass a test to get into law school because I didn't believe that my grades were legit. So I ended up washing dishes for longer, basically, again. Because uh, that was my first job. That's another crazy story. But uh, I had to do foundation. Then I did well in foundation here. Then I went to, to my first job. But I was trying to explain this to my family. I'm like, listen, guys, I'm not in uni. What do you mean you're not here? We send you to these schools. You're supposed to like get ahead. We don't have money. You have to finish your school. I'm like, no, you don't understand. There's a foundation. You're like, what's a foundation? What's wrong with your grades? Were you like, <laughs> you know? So the whole, they, they just didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. And there's just a lot of confusion. And I think a lot of international students, particularly, you just don't know the right questions to ask. You know, mm-hmm. this is those days. There was a lot of forged documents or, or degree uh, qualifications. Yeah. <clears throat> so they just really ruled out anyone from certain countries and saying you just have to do this so and it was a good money spinner for them too so yeah it just took me back a year so it was quite frustrating but uh, proved my way through and honestly I, I met some amazing people there because now you're in these classes i don't know if you had to do that in these classes with people from china you know uh, those days burma everywhere brazil and so i made all these like international friends instantly and the language barriers were there I had to do basic, basic English to like, how do you do? And, you know, and people were like, you speak really good English. I mean, like, do you guys in Africa, like, don't speak African? I'm like, my goodness, you know, so I, you go through that whole uh, explanation thing. So it was really good. It was, a, it was an amazing transformation, but it did take me back a year. So I was slightly frustrated by that. Wow. Um, I mean, with me, I didn't even bother to like, yeah. even truly like apply because of how uh, the process is here in America. So for me, I, I basically just did my high school diploma. It was a year almost. Uh-huh. And at the time I was doing babysitting, I just did my high school diploma and then I went to college. I couldn't afford uni. It's too expensive. I <laughs> No, it's it's where, like, where were you when I was doing it hard? I, I don't. It never even crossed my mind. No, it, it was just too much. I, I when I looked at the process, I asked yeah. around, and then when they were telling me, "Oh, you have to transfer your credits. The credits have to be approved." But I was like, "This is too much work. Yeah. Much work for me." Um, I'm just gonna do high school diploma. It's one year, 
and I basically just go to community college. So I went to community college. That's what I could afford because here in the U.S., you pay as an international student. Yes, same. And it's double what the residents pay. So yeah. it. Mm-mm. Yeah, it was not. <clears throat> it was not. I was always behind, but I always made friends to pay in installments, and I was talking dishwasher price installments. So it, it took me so long because you don't like get a scholarship or you know, no student cards, nothing. No, no. It, no. I tried. I even when I finally got like my permanent residence here, I tried to apply for financial aid. It, it, it was not working. Yeah, it, it, it didn't work. So you. A lot of people don't get this. This is really good that you're sharing this because I think people who want to go to the foreign countries they just think, oh, it's gonna get easier. It's one of the most challenging things you can ever do, and most expensive as well. So I think they just think everyone who can afford to go abroad must be from a wealthy family. It can't be because of the country thing. No, it's very expensive to be an international student, and if you can afford it to to come here, you have to be prepared, like yeah. to anywhere. Like you have to be truly prepared to spend that money. If you're doing well in your country, I just advise everybody just stay in your country. It's not worth it to go through the stress. Come visit. That's it. Yeah. Just come visit, and that's it. You don't want to start yeah. over. Um, because they don't approve. Even here, they don't really approve of yeah. whatever qualifications you may have uh, in your country. Um, so you finished uni. I'm skipping ahead. You finished uni. Oh, go ahead. Tell my story. washing dishes the whole time. I, I was. I got a. That's all you did. Just dishes washing dishes. Do, do they offer employment in New York uh, University over there? Oh, no. Well, I think by now they can't lock me up over there, but I was an illegal worker for a long, long time. Yeah. Cash and just doing odd, odd like crazy hours, uh, the grave shifts, where, which the locals didn't want to do. And uh, yeah, but you know, like I said, you know, the blessing in disguise, I, I grew up on a farm, we just work. So I just have worked everywhere. So I kept my job and then I got really good at it. And then I got promoted through it. So, uh, so I ended up being like a manager of uh, the same restaurant, which happened to be a Jewish restaurant, by the way. So I can make masa bowls and kosher food to levels you can't even imagine. <clears throat> oh, I love kosher. That's where. Oh, okay. okay. And you, uh, you can you can make uh, challah bread because that's our favorite bread in this house. Uh, that was a bit of advice, but yes, I could. And we would do that for most of our guests there because it was like an RSL club for Jewish people, Jewish retirees. So they had this real need. But the, the beautiful thing, like I said, is that's where my network started as a business. Yeah, but in, in answer to your question, it's just I had to work. <clears throat> and so even my school was really like I'll be finishing at midnight, two o'clock, three o'clock. Because you know, once the restaurant's done three hundred covers a day, uh that's where the dishwashing starts. Then you take out the rubbish and then clean up these muscle bowl things you cook in. I mean, Time I'm done is twelve o'clock in the morning. So I did a deal with the owner. I just used to sleep in the store for a very long time, and uh, that's, then I just go straight to school, you know, to uni, and uh, do that, and then come back and keep doing it all because <clears throat> pay school fees or get kicked out. Really. So that was six and a half years, and uh, that was really good. <laughs> I love Washington. Six and a half years of sleeping at your restaurant. 
For in and you. out. There were breaks yeah. where friends. In, in and out, but still, like, and then commit, committed to uni. Yeah, 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 I did that. And, and I'm still running little businesses on the side. Yeah, yeah. Did sell jobs in summer, like selling door to door stuff, whatever I could. Because my school fees, as you said, were two, three times more than they needed to be. So after you pay your rentals, or at least for us, just transport, you know, just to get anywhere on trains, <clears throat> most of my money was going to just getting from A to B. Uh, that uh, I'll need extra cash for my school fees. So, you know. Wow. That's determination, man. Oh, well, man. So you finished uni. What was your first job? You didn't stay in First there. real job. <clears throat> so funny. I I, I, I got... <laughs> That's crazy. You didn't stay So six and a half years to, took me to get my residency. Then I could. Uh, I applied for residency as a skilled migrant, as a cook, because my law degree didn't carry enough points i don't know how it works in the u.s but in australia you get this point system so you gotta get say like over 80 points they'll give you points if you're young <clears throat> they give you points if you're from western countries no <laughs> points and they just give you points for different things they yeah. give you points uh you have qualifications but in this particular time there's too many graduate lawyers locals and uh, people complaining about foreigners taking their jobs <clears throat> so they gave more points to people who did uh, diploma level technical skills, hairdressing, cooks, uh, garbage collection, because those were the places <clears throat> most Australians didn't want jobs. So a lawyer could finish school with honors, get say the, the cut mark maybe let's just call it 120 to get your residency. So you need a big chunk from somewhere. <clears throat> so I remember this time I looked at my law qualifications and I would get something like 40 points. Then my cooking experience, because I've worked for six years and I got a recognition of prior learning. I did some certificate diploma level. I would get uh, 80 to 90 points for that. Why? Because there was just more demand for that position. <clears throat> so I never applied for my residency as a lawyer. I applied for my residency as a qualified cook. And that's something nobody wants. And that's how I got my residency. So in answer to your question, I got my residency, but then along the way, I also then I was already in the field of direct sales and uh, I got noticed by a co uh, an insurance company <clears throat> that were doing corporate insurance and I was already like a supervisor. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I can like go back and work in the kitchen and be like a secondhand cook and I've done too many hours. I smelled of massa balls for, for too many. I just smelled of, and I had dreadlocks long dreadlocks so i just got tired of smelling of like food all the time it's why i can't cook i, I just refuse people like oh but you i was like no i've done my time don't even, it's not even romantic i don't have any brownie points don't care if i don't get them <clears throat> so i'm never cooking just in case you've got any funny ideas but i can't cook though that's the funny thing <laughs> but anyway so this insurance guy said why don't you come in as full time for running a, a call center of a car? hundred people as a supervisor and the pay was better than being a junior lawyer so i was like ah oh, okay so i did that because i had still had so many bills to pay but i took on a job also as a, a junior uh, attached person in this foundation what do you call it i can't remember it's like a management program thing they take you through in this law firm and i was working there i was like okay let me see who the top dog is what they do and how they live and I realized the idea of what I had, what the lifestyle of a lawyer is, and day to day of what a lawyer does, 
you know, and I also along the way got diagnosed, uh, not diagnosed, but I, I did all these assessment tests. I actually have dyslexia. So going to read contracts and all these, you know, minor, but still there. <clears throat> it wasn't exactly something I was gravitating towards. Mm. So my first job ended up being uh, in insurance, uh, working in a, in a call center as a retention management consultant. And I just love talking to business people that call in, trying to keep their policy with me. And then I just built the team from there. <clears throat> and then basically <clears throat> got invited into all sorts of other meetings. So, so yeah, that was my track for a while. <clears throat> and um, I, I just remembered trying to explain this to my father. <laughs> he goes, so wait, you paid over $120,000, uh, suffered for six and a half years, and you're telling me you don't want to practice. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that didn't go down. We didn't talk for a couple of years. Because he was like, so what do I tell people I introduce you? Those days entrepreneurship wasn't really a thing. You know, these days you wear the t-shirt, you're cool. It's like, but you're educated. Why are you a business person? You know? And I'm like, yeah, but dad, I'm passionate. I'm like, I'm a song about you now. I'm passionate for what? I can't tell my friends my son is a businessman. <clears throat> Those are thieves. <laughs> you know? It was, it, was this, it was this crazy transition of identity. <laughs> it was mad. So I'm glad you found it funny. I cried. I, I, mean, I, was, I was ashamed. Listen, I, the perception of back home, yeah. I'm laughing because of yeah. our culture. Of yeah, yeah. Perception is everything. Like, yeah. you want to introduce my son. My son is abroad. I want to introduce mm-hmm. my son. He's a lawyer. He went to school. He's a lawyer. So when you're coming back and telling them, oh, no, I don't even mm-hmm. want to practice. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm passionate about changing the world. He's like, you know, and then you hear them go, mommy, come and hear your son. You know, you know these ways. <laughs> come and hear what your son, it's your son. Huh? It's not my son anymore. Come and hear what your son is saying. I smell it on the phone, you know. So there was just these crazy conversations of trying to explain it. And they couldn't. Because also they didn't realize being a, a black person in Australia, uh, there was also some of these, not that it, you didn't make it, you just, you know, I knew I had to work 10 times harder than the average person in Australia. 100%, yeah. It's like that everywhere, right? So I'm not, there's nothing new here. I'm just talking to maybe the people who want to travel and realize this. Yeah. You just work 10 times harder for the same opportunity. But in my head, I was like, if I'm going to work 10 times harder for the opportunity, I better work on something I really want to do. Yeah. Because I was also, in so many undescribed words, told, uh, you don't have a surname that I think would make a good partner in this you know, firm. You know, there's these type of things going on. Or maybe you should like uh, train the refugee janitors down there. And, you know, I, I ended up, and that's how I got into training. I would train up migrants coming through to integrate into the corporate scene. And I fell in love with that. So, yeah, I haven't asked, I've asked a question, but I've put other things in it. It's just my first job led me to training and development, sales reps, and teams, and building. And I was like, didn't know what it was called. There was no coaching those days. There wasn't. <laughs> Uh, facilitators kind of fancy words like teachers yeah I mean, you know, you're not a teacher I, I, I try and explain that's your parents like, if you want to be a teacher you know and you know why did you go to law school you know it was one of those things no these are facilitators that are corporate training is a teacher <laughs> you know if you always go back to that so I was just like ah okay whatever 
<laughs> just just let it go. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is yeah. what I live for. And nice. you make me my day. <laughs> ah, nice. No, it's because people don't really understand it until you really experience it. And me hearing it from uh, that it's not only in America, Australia is also as hard, oh. even harder than America. For me, at least New York is a bit easier from um, that angle, from being a lawyer and then you, you, all these points, is too much. It's too much. You put <laughs> the bar here and you get, become yeah. a lawyer. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. it, it it's, awesome. it's just a lot. Wow. So like, is this where your um, entrepreneurship was born? Is this why you fell in love in, with being an entrepreneur? Yeah, um, I think it started picking up. Uh, I don't know if I can use it on the, on the podcast, but it, it became sexier. The, the world caught up with the word, and, and you know, it became rock star stuff. Yeah. But that's that's not that's not where it started. For me, it started selling cabbages back in Silva. You know, figuring out like, oh my goodness, I want to pay for my school fees, or I want that shoe that my rich friend has. I can sell 1,000 of these, make this much profit. You know, so I, I started thinking in those terms back there, but there was just no career for it. So it wasn't encouraged because you had to be a doctor, lawyer, accountant. You get my point. And when I saw business people, they were crooks. Yeah. They were, who couldn't make it in school, you know. And then for Korea, parents, particularly in our generation, you know, Zambia's going through a renaissance where black people are becoming managers. So it was important, don't get me wrong. But that stuck for us because we're also very much in a parastatal culture where jobs were the thing. So you want to climb that ladder, the government will look after you, or companies will look after you. But we weren't really enterprising yet. I mean, these are just generalizations, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so it was a minority thing. So when I went there, there was a little bit of, mm, what's the right word? Shame. Um, because I knew my parents wanted me to, to be more. Yeah. Uh, because even when I tell people, I got a lot of people, oh, they say, oh, I'm running a business in garbage collection. Mm. You know, it, it's different. And you want to date my daughter? You, you know, it didn't work out. I didn't forget dating. It never happened. So <laughs> I always hit with a degree in, in dinner tables, but if I really like someone. But anyway, so, <clears throat> so the entrepreneurship was born back there. But I think it got its name in Australia. And then I remember this. I went to a rally through insurance and I saw Jim Rohn's guy and Brian Tracy and these motivational speakers on stage. Just, I was just blown away. First, I thought, I didn't invite me to a church thing because that's where you see people really excited, you know. But yeah. I was just, these guys are just talking about things I want to do. You know, they 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 encouraging me to believe in my dream, believe I can more than I am. And particularly if you've been in these cultures where they're just like black people over there, they're the Aboriginal, <clears throat> you can't get a high paying job because you know, blah blah. Yeah. I was like, actually, I can. I can just not even queue up in that line and just create my own view. And uh, that was mind blowing. So they coined it as entrepreneurship. 
and then I could easily trace the steps all the way back to what I've always been doing to make my extra income so mm. I can live the life I, I, I deserve, at least I wanted to. You know? Yeah, so I don't know if that kind of answers the question, but it was really... No, it does. It does. Um, I know through the journey of, I come from a world of entrepreneurship, my mom, my grandmother, they've all been um, in the business world. And uh, you have ups and downs, and you've had a fair share of those um, opportunities of, um, I guess, failing. Um, do you mind sharing? <laughs> do you mind sharing like some of the lessons that you've been able to learn? Because I, I was counting from what the internet says. It says twenty times more than twenty times, but oh, you told me, you so told me it's more. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I'm just too embarrassed to put it because people don't believe it. And, and, and full disclosure, and this is really good we're doing it now. <clears throat> um, okay, I'll come to this part later. But but like you said, it's it's, it's an up and down thing. Um, and, and I'm really excited now more that you've asked this question because I guess when I ever do these type of things, which are very few now, uh, once I'm becoming more private, it's just like uh, I'm going through another transition and I'll share very openly why and how that's happened. Yeah. At least the vantage point of where I'm at now. So, you know, I even like to you know, just very quickly, this is a Volvo here, and what that means to me is something very uh, transformative that has been the making of my, myself for the last 41 years. I feel that way. I'm 41 years now, but I feel like it's just been a seed growing into where it's going now. You know, so, in answer to your question about the, the failures and the lessons, um, I would call tragedy an opportunity for someone to be introduced to their true self. Mm. And the reason why I think that's a good place to start is, as you heard in my story, I've experienced, and maybe I'll be a little bit more open, there's, there's been abuse in my childhood. Uh, there's been misfortune, deaths, so many deaths that uh, if you honestly ask me, am I afraid of death? The answer is no. Because I've just been so exposed to it on a personal level. You know, in the West, it was so different. People say people pass away, but you don't see them. I mean, unless you see them collapse. And, uh, but death isn't like something you really... It happens so quickly and so distant. It's like most people are afraid of Whereas in our culture, you know, someone dies, you're probably the one who's going to take them to hospital like I did. So yeah. I was very engaged with tragedy. Uh, but now there's things like post-traumatic stress and all these things, we'll get into that later, where counseling is such a beautiful thing, even though I'll say this openly for men, we shy away from it too much, but there's a lot of suppressed emotions that just kind of show up in other areas, particularly career-wise, and, and other places in relationships that, uh, you know, hurt people, hurt people, that kind of thing. So I already started learning this much, much later. But I guess in terms of lesson, the first one when we passed away or... My grandmother passed away and I was there when that happened. I was even younger then, I think I was nine or less. Um, you know, I just started asking myself about what life is all about and, and why this boss feeling comes around and how do you celebrate people's life once they're gone and how do you even, you know, maybe this is too spiritual for this podcast for today, but how do you equip yourself enough to feel closer to those like your boss so that it doesn't become something that bashes you around the minutes you to live? Mm. these things I just kind of learned along the way so I thought I'll bring that in as a starting point because it's like an emotional muscle that I feel is so necessary to prepare you for the entrepreneurship journey 
Um, so when it now came to me now going, okay, now let me start dealing with my financial literacy, my financial relationship with money and how money is not bad, money doesn't make you evil, being a business person or being a criminal. Uh, but I'll get into that in a second about where I'm at now. But, you know, there's just a lot of gray lines that maybe society is kind of built in um, that we never question because you're just living within the frame. But when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be usually sometimes up the side of the frame. And it's such a thin line between being a genius and being crazy. You know, you're a hero when you succeed. And I've been very lucky and fortunate that some business ideas I've done have led me to some success that people go, yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. And it's easy then for people to follow and graduate or listen to me like what they're doing now, which I appreciate. But I never forget, and I'll be very honest, because uh, I'm just at that level, I'm really reflecting on all of these things. 80% people don't see behind the scenes is where I've just absolutely failed, fallen on my face, made some poor, 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 poor business decisions that have not just cost me financially, uh, and I'll say this openly, they've cost me relationships. And not out of maliciousness. Mm -hmm. It's like you have good intentions. You take people's money, <laughs> you know. Yeah. They invest in your dreams. You want it to work, but you're also quite naive in some ways or you're not experienced enough yet to know all the moving parts in the business that you just execute in good intention, but it blows up and looks like you just abuse uh, people's trust. Mm. Where there's money, there's trust. Trust and money go together. Yes. Yeah. When you make a purchase, I tell people this when I'm training in sales, right? a little bit of a workshop here. But the minute you take your wallet out and you're motivated to give it to someone, you're basically saying, I trust you for the promise you've made me, even before you've consumed the product. Okay. And so the symbolic, symbolism of parting with money says you trust that person. So for us business people, when people give you money, they're saying they're trusting you with themselves. But that's where the betrayal starts. Because if that money then doesn't come back as profit, and you go bankrupt like I've done a few times, it strains relationships. Mm. It relationships. Because that's other people's hard-earned cash. So as an entrepreneur, you really start... Because you need to scale, you need investments, no matter which way you cut it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work out. How do you put yourself together and how do you show up in shame or whatever and still say, hey, I messed up <clears throat> and I'm, I'll come good with that. And sometimes come good can take you decades to say, I've in the past, I've lost millions. Uh, but there's that intention to want to pay people back. And some, some people do get there. But there's a big <clears throat> majority of people who just never have the gumption to keep going. The shame swallows them up or the disappointment of a failure. So I guess the second thing I would say is like you really got to build that emotional stamina because 80% of success is failure in my experience. And in employment, we avoid failure at all costs. In entrepreneurship, it's your staple food. Because <laughs> that 20% that you succeed will make up for the 80 and it's just a matter of how do you, uh, at least I'm, 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 I'm processing this one. It's like, how do you put yourself together faster, but still in a holistic way that you're not <clears throat> also doing it in a superficial way and or making too many promises you can't keep. 
but you've got to make some promises to yourself first, right? So lesson number two is that is like you gotta fall down eight times, get up nine, but understand that's just part of that process. And if you don't and you're trying to avoid those risks, you won't get to where you need to. Being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. The third one, which uh, is closer to my heart, honestly, uh, through my entrepreneurial journey, I went through a very difficult divorce. Um, you as a father at least or a provider in my case <clears throat> you, you again you see you're, you're optimistic you know the business numbers on paper it makes sense you're ready to make the jump you put your family at risk but half the time you're not really sure about one where the end destination is and two unfortunately how long it's going to take you to get there yeah. so your partner now starts having to make uh, sacrifices that they never planned to do mm. because you're union particularly when you're transitioning from employment and i'm hinting here but transition from employment to entrepreneurship full-time yeah a partner very typically like an employee would say how long are you going to take to get there you'd be like well actually my degree is five years see it's fixed uh my job salary will be on the 30th of the month fixed uh or i earn five thousand a month ten thousand a month so i'll pay you back in fixed right but entrepreneurship, you can make $10,000 one day and make nothing for four years. Yeah. So how do you communicate those expectations to your partner? And two, should you expect them to support you? Mm. So the lesson for me there was, one, I was quite selfish in the way I went about it the first time. Because I was just so optimistic. I'm a dreamer like my father. You know, I wanted to do well for my family. I also wanted to do well for myself. But I made a lot of promises without having experience. And so what that did is when we got into a relationship, we had a child along the way. I was trying to come good over something. But it just took longer than I thought. To be specific, it took me seven years instead of the two years I was promised. <laughs> And I had no idea. It's just my skill sets weren't there. My my acumen wasn't there. My maturity as a father, as a husband, there was just so many factors. I just put so much pressure on people. So all I could advise people, my younger self and anyone else, is just like, if you feel you've got a big dream and you want to fight for that dream, understand that people never see it for you if they can't see it for themselves. That's the number one. 
And so you can't expect them to support you because it's not their turn to begin with. And, and that's where I think I take responsibility of straying those relationships because I'll be like, yeah, but you're my partner. You should. No, no, they don't have to do nothing. They're not the ones taking those risks. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, but it's the job. Stay. You are a lawyer. You are this, you know. Why don't you just be normal? And you're just like, look at me. Does this person look like they're going to do well in the night five? But you can't say that. <laughs> you know what I'm you, you, you have to navigate and back to this adapting conversations and just maybe making less promises as much as you want to and us men we want to make our queens happy but sometimes say some dumb crap this way so it's some dumb stuff just because we do mean well but it just doesn't show up in the way it should so that was kind of probably one of the biggest uh again failures in my life if you look at it from a divorce point of view but yeah. one of the best teachers of my life because i really came out on the other side going wow i love my son i actually love his mom i could see now she's more suited doing what she's doing because you know it's been a few years down the track she's doing exactly what she was doing that she's comfortable with but i personally am now doing what i dreamt of doing mm. uh, we didn't need to go through fighting about it we should have just been a bit more authentic with our needs and then come into the union to try and say hey you don't have to maybe come on this journey but i'm going with or without you and that's a really hard thing to accept um but i think had we done that earlier the relationship and the bad water would be less because we were all trying to drive each other into each other's fences but yeah. i think you can draw that parallel in a lot of with our families and everyone else it's just like if you're born with this desire in you and the void has to be filled just understand you're going to walk the road just travel but do your very best to communicate that things are going to take longer than you look and you might have to do it at home because happiness at the end of the day what's going to keep you sane um, but it's also a big graveyard, you know, 80% of entrepreneurs don't make it. So you just really got to know what you get yourself into. Um, but I'd say it's still worth the fight. You know, if I didn't make it to the where I am, all the mistakes I've made, I'm still making more. I still don't, I don't have a regret. I don't even feel that. It's just, I'm trying to find a way to communicate authentically and honestly in real time. Mm. I think we're trying to get that sometimes after the fact right so i don't know if uh, that that kind of helps but those three things are, i would say the biggest uh emotional stamina that has built me to where i am that even now i'll be honest like i said previous photos i'm going through i call them winter months i'm going to a winter month in my just business evolution because i'm taking on a project now that's really the ultimate project i've always wanted to build in africa but the stakes are higher it's my people my family or my community it's around the environment it's, it's a macro global impact thing but I'm also trying to contextualize myself in the African way and I haven't been doing that for over 60 years 50 years because I've been away so it's a bit of humble pie to me to um, Zambianizing myself again and just starting almost back to zero you know, but I put everything into it and uh, this is just cycles that you you do at different levels so maybe this is the first podcast I must call me in a winter month usually I've just I've been having summer months for years 
you know. But I think this is a really, really good time to call this is a proper story for myself to say it just tends to happen every ten years, and the other way you make your big decisions, it dips, but you become someone extraordinary on the other end. Um, and I hope this is for someone that's listening to say, you know, tough times don't as tough people do, that's for sure. But you just gotta take it with grace and take your time with it. You know, because if you stay in business, you always have to make calculated risks, and sometimes they don't work out. But if you don't, you close your business because you can't stay stationary. So I don't know. That's a, a loaded way of sharing my lessons and my failures and how they connect. But well that's uh beautiful thank you for that transparency i appreciate that from my end um how do you know because i'll give you an example i started a business in zambia last year um my sister was helping me she wanted to help me make some extra income she's like you know what let's help you with something so we built a borehole my mom gave me a section of on her farm we did um a fish farm so the first time around my um the gentleman that we had contacted he gave us the fish the fish all of it died this was in june even my mom was like i don't do fish farming but why are you putting fish in the pond in june all right everything died so i said okay that's a loss and then we tried again. We approached another company that sells the fish that we needed. They said, you know what? Do it in September. So we, do, we again, refilled it. We did the whole process. They had uh, an inspection gentleman that used to come and inspect. They would come inspect. Long story short, the fish didn't grow to the point where it's supposed to grow because the Apparently, the guy that used to come and inspect, he knew better. He didn't tell us that that fish doesn't grow bigger than what is what's on the market. That makes more money. So again, that was another loss. So in the whole process of um, having this fish grow, it was a lot of money being sent. The feed, as the fish get bigger, it was a lot of money. A lot of money that I spent to this. So I basically took a loss. So mm-hmm. I just said, well, you know what? Let's just close the whole thing. Let's take out the fish. We we're ending up uh, selling it like on the market, really. My sisters, I'm so grateful for them that they were able to do that. How do you come back from a loss? Like, where do you get the strength? I mean, if I had the money, for me, I, I want to do it again, try it. But I need to find people that can help me better in terms of the right fish how do you come back from a fail like how do you know like okay I have to try it again I have to try it again I have to try it again after 20 times yeah oh, that's a great question ah, I think we've both been divorced so let's go there it's probably the easiest way oh, yeah. that's universally applicable but it's relatable to business okay and sometimes I speak business so much because I'm so... It's like a religion for me. I know. I Sometimes I call you, I'm like, do not talk about business. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, uh, everything's connected. And that's so frustrating, I can imagine, because it's probably like a doctor talking about some specialization and not everyone speaks in that language, so it just shows I don't have any friends. But no, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, though, in a universal way is 
for me, and I, and I, I like to say things thinking, how would I like to hear this if I was on the other side of this? Yeah. So forgive me if it doesn't come across the right way, but I, but I, the intentions are good. Um, when I got married, okay, and back to what I was saying to you earlier, anything anyone does, I think, honestly, even even the people we like to judge or, or hate, but you know, just whoever out there that we are like, we hate yeah. this type of that person really messed up the world. We love to demonize someone to make sense of the world. There always has to be a scapegoat, right? Uh, okay. The point I'm making is like, once you know that and step away when you're the one in the receiving end of that, it's really not nice. And I've been there on both sides. Uh, but the point was, even in those times when things go wrong, back to what I was saying, when you fail in business, everyone says, you idiot, what do you mean? But when you succeed, they call you a genius. And those two are just like black and white all the way through. So, so back to the context of normal for, 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 for how do you deal with a failure? I think the first step is to realize, number one, you had good intentions. That's why you went in in the first place. But two, you've got to ask yourself the question, and this is back to the marriage conversation I had with myself, and I'm sure you helped yourself. At what point are you going to call it quits? I think the simple answer for me is when you've lost the willingness to try again. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. this is just universal. Yeah. <laughs> it's out there. And whatever, if you assess yourself and you go, I'm no longer willing to put that money into that project. I'm no longer willing to forgive this person. I'm no longer willing to hear that stupid peace story about why they didn't do what they needed to do to fulfill if you think about it it's my needs it's not the needs as a husband wife is the yeah ourselves it's really they just didn't give you the need that you wanted them to that's it comes down to that right yeah and when you want to own it and realize that person maybe one doesn't want to or two they're just not the person that gives that sort of need but at the end of the day it's you're the recipient you're expecting something from that person attention love care financial support whatever so when you're no longer willing to put up with any of that, that's the time to that's the time to call it quits. So for us entrepreneurs, here's the danger. <laughs> we also sometimes get I'll speak for myself. I, I get wrapped up in the self-righteous egoness to say, I'm gonna do this until it works and some things are best to walk away mm. but back to my eco talk i'll use this as an example at 12 years old nancy i had a very strong pull i won't call it clear but it was a strong pull to come home and make a difference with my people at a macro level see the other people can say exactly the same but it's at a micro level and both are as significant as each other but me i will not be content if I just don't see almost like a, a level of a compound transform, jobs created. And it doesn't have to have my name. If you notice, any of my brands don't have Aramashana. I'm not, I'm not that self-centric. But I, 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 I hope you don't mind me just giving myself a little boost here because I probably need to hear more for myself at the moment. Is, it's, it's this is your stage. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like it's, 
I'm just being completely vulnerable with everyone because you know you're catching me at a very rare time where I'm just like my ass is hanging out. So like, I love it. I love it. It's just, <laughs> it, it's just like I really, really, really will be so so happy with my life, knowing I'm out of this place and there's a pyramid of some sort, structure, business operating, helping so many people, and no one even knows I started. I don't know why that's the case. That's just how it's for as long as I've been. And that's what, that's my intention. See, that's my willingness back to the point I was making. So like you, I put in $50,000 plus, and I'm maybe not using figures because people now get freaked out. I put in a lot of money. And I think for anyone, if you have a hundred dollars, a hundred kwacha, and that's what you got, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So for mm-hmm. me, my a lot of money was that. Mm-hmm. And the project just hasn't started yet. <laughs> we lost the money. You know, recently, I'm talking, what are we, March last month? Okay. Real time, this is before it. I worked so hard for that. I'm it's a lot of money. Dude, I'm broken in ways I can't even explain to you. And, I, and then worse, I did stupid things to compensate for that loss, which strained other relationships. I'll leave the details out for now. Yeah. But you see, it's because I was just so good intention to say, this is, this is going to employ thousands of people. This is going to change their life. It's going to pass up. It's mainly women, you know, my people. So on paper, it all made sense. But the climate was just, I just miscalculated. So my point was, uh, that wasn't the first $50,000 I've ever lost in a business. I've lost so much more than that. But the willingness, Nancy, was never lost. And for that reason, I'll rock this t-shirt even though there's like, true story, $2 in my bank account in this company. Today. I don't want to say that so I can remind myself. But I promise you, every million dollar business before that. I promise you. It, it just has to be. But the difference between this and say the other days when I was like egocentric, I want to succeed. See, the younger version of me. I wanted people to tell me I'm successful. I wanted people to call me rich. I wanted people to pat me on the back and say, I have a great job here and I hope you can feel my sincerity. I just won't be happy with me if I don't do this. You understand that? It's just it's part of my identity. It's got to get done. I, 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 if I get done, I'll die trying getting it done because that makes me very happy. Yeah. I feel very good trying to get this waste management project really going. And I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to address this process. No idea. But it's, it's, it's the right thing to do because I had this vision from when I was young. It's just crystallized. Yeah. So you haven't lost when you learn a lesson. That's the other thing. You only lose when you give up and or you were doing it for the wrong intentions because you lost your willingness. And when you lose those three things, then I think it's time to pivot, change your business, mm. do something else. So I don't know if that helps you or anyone else, but uh, I just know this ain't over because I'm still willing. And I think I do my relationships this way. I think our friendship is being built this way, as you notice. I'm willing to make time. It'll happen. But when that's gone, uh, then I also communicate to hey, <laughs> It's done because there's just no willingness. I, I think a lot of people don't come from that space. Maybe it's wrong or right on my part, but I think entrepreneurs just never lose that willingness to make it work. You know, yeah. I yeah. Know, so, how do you build a successful um, 
customer business based Mm-hmm. How do you build that? <laughs> yeah, I don't have any clients here. I'm running away. Oh my God. Oh, this is going to be such a good podcast. Oh my God. I've, I've never been caught. I mean, I've never been caught here. This is, this is, this is interesting. Um, wow. How do I answer that question? Answer, I have so many answers. It's like diverging in my head. <laughs> Take your time, take your time. No, only, only because you caught me in a very different season. This is so cool. I've never... <laughs> that's a good question. Look, I, I need to give some pre-disclosures. And I, I think I'll do this for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> pre-disclosures? Client success. Uh, pre-disclosures? Is that even English? A pre, 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 whatever. No, 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 no. It's fine. Uh, yeah, there's a word in law, but it's gone. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The, the, the... The, the, I think in there, there's a couple of trappings, right? Uh, one, what is a good customer base, right? And, and, and then there is connected to, if I had a good customer base, does that make me successful? Mm. Because there's some people, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I, I think there's a couple of traps in there for everyone, me included. So as much as I, in my summer days, I'll just jump in and tell you, well, and trust me, I have a course on that systems. But right now, I am really excited to question the Western business model and come up with something that has a hybrid of Western, Eastern, and Zambian, you know, because I feel our people are living a very shadow life that will never succeed at our fullest potential, I believe, because we're just copy-pasting systems that are tested and time-tested and na-na-na. But we have our own destiny to create. And I am, as you can tell now, I'm really in a funny place, but it's true. I, I just think I'm just going to coach and build my businesses differently because, one, I've realized I'm my own imposter. You know, um, I have been trained Western. I have practiced Eastern. But honestly, I've never succeeded at the level I wanted, like I've done in the West and the East, in the Zambian context. So it's just time for humble pie. That's all, you see. And from that point, I'm saying, hmm, do I need to build my business the way the Western people told me with my clients in your client base? Or can I maybe now bring in something that's a bit more Afrocentric, like let's bring in the Ubuntu systems of what actually works around here, which are sometimes collectives or village banking style systems or uh style village you know whatever these guys do their thing and then also understand that the western systems are really oppressing us financially and try and still build in things that can make us more competitive globally you know what i mean i haven't quite got there yet but i, I get back to why waste management is one of those vehicles i want to use to test all these assumptions so short answer to your questions, I think you need clients, but I'll probably add a word to it. You need to understand the number of ideal clients who fit your core values, Western terms, but also fit your ecosystem that you're currently placing your business to start. And then I would say the third one, which is very more African than anything. Start questioning the identity of who you're going to become when you're successful before you get there. 
because you might end up at the top of that mountain and realize you've been climbing the wrong mountain. And I've done this. So, so these three things, I think, go with your question. And I think when you have an ideal client, someone who wants to build a relationship with you, like we're doing, you want a long-term, not transactional, flip fast, click on yeah. YouTube, get some viral content up there, but at the end of the day, you're not really making any outcomes. Yeah. Africa, we need practical outcomes, right? And this is where I'm struggling with business sometimes, because sometimes I'm like, look, I'll make a lot of money. What's going to be the impact here? You know? I think that's my struggle on, at the end of the day as well. Like, what impact am I making? Because it's very easy, um, like in the industry that I am, like for podcasting, so many people reach out. Uh, you can make, you can have 10,000 10, followers, 20,000 followers. But are those people listening to my podcast? Yeah. So I, am I making an impact in those 20,000 people's lives? Yeah. So I love the angle that you actually responded to. To, to yeah, the worst would tell you, but you've got to pay your bills. But I'm like, yeah, but why should you cut one arm off for the other? Yeah. I can't make your money, build your amazing concrete pastures brand and find that quality place where you're not compromised. I think you can through ideal clients. That's why I said that as to, it's not just about the number, it's the quality of that client. Because even ideal clients have this, the fourth pointer, which is they refer you clients. So you shouldn't have to spend too much money and I think that was your client even before you asked. I mean, I've referred you people because I like you. <laughs> I don't even know what this show is about. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got my guts. I know. That's what you just little. heard. It's like, I'll send you people. Uh, okay. But, but you're my people, yo. You know what I'm saying? But but that's that's the, you see, that's the Africanization and you're trying to come out more. I just think it's just how we used to do the Ubuntu thing. And we've lost yeah. it. So we yeah. must bring it. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. It's, Probably not what the old Aaron would say, <laughs> but it's definitely what the, the future Aaron wants to make. Oh, I love the future Aaron. That's good. Um, and uh, you're not the first one actually saying the copy and paste of our Zambian. Today, actually, I heard that word again. <laughs> copy and paste. <laughs> so it seems to be going around this copy. Yeah. No, just, just question this. Just because it's time tested doesn't mean it's appropriate. <laughs> you know, that's the problem. We lean too much into time tested. But, wow. oh, <laughs> you know, anyway. Uh, let's see. Um, you've written a few books. Yeah. Oh, I want to burn them now. Before I get in those books. Yeah. Um, you really caught me at a good time. I'm telling you. Last question on, um, I guess, entrepreneurship. Before we get into your books. Uh, <laughs> What advice would you give? I know you, I think you've answered this in some way or another. Uh, someone who's starting to, who's looking to start a business, what advice would you give them? Uh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Look, <sighs> it's, such a, it's such a good one at this moment in my life. Um, I'm getting emotional because I'm just really it's all good it's all good friend it's yeah. all good yeah people are just getting into our conversations that we have privately so this is the conversation so I'm, I'm glad yeah. we're sharing this with the whole world yeah 
I have to shout out actually um, wh- who connected us. Um, Ronnie is the one who mentioned. Yeah, I was also thinking I forgot who connected us. Yeah. Ronnie, wasn't no, Ronnie mentioned you and yeah. his um, conversation with me. He's like, you need to reach out to um, Aaron oh, Channel. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, let's do this. So I started to do my research and I reached out. I was like, let me do my research first. So I, was, I did like a whole month of research of, on you and then decided to find the nerve to reach out to you <laughs> on LinkedIn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. I trust Randy. Those are my people together with his wife. But I'm like, yeah. you know, and I, I, I appreciate him for uh, recommending that I reached out to you. You yeah, good yeah, now? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm always good. Uh, it's it's always there, and and I think it's good that people see that because look, I've been in entrepreneurship as I know it as a career. And- I was doing a CV just because someone asked me for one. I've never done one because I never needed to. If you're the employer, why do you do a CV? It's just like, it's, it's weird. But yeah. It's so good to do it and go through my projects and things like that. But the point I'm making was, there was like a decade of this career and I've never worked for anybody else. Mm. But that emotion and connection to your question came from the me that's talking, that's going through things. And you know this. I lost my parents last year. Both of them. Uh, life happens. Yeah. But the person that really wants to be an entrepreneur, I think the emotion came from the words. Uh, as non-glamorous as this sounds, you really have to fall in love with the struggle. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it's not a struggle in the sense of pain and heartache and na 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 na. No, that's that's not where the emotion. It was a it was a joyfulness of being reminded thanks to your question, because it, it just went straight back to how I even got into this thing, mm. and not to slander the Christians or anyone else here. The best analogy I can give it because I was, I was studying this and I love the movie Passion of Christ. Yes. No. And I'm not saying I'm Jesus or anyone in entrepreneurs. Just not the it's not the connection. I just want to be clear. But I think what what the message was about that from Mel Gibson was he was so passionate about the whole journey of his struggle to the end, knowing full well where it was going to go, and it was a painful process. But the liberation, the the meaningfulness, would have not been conclusive and as deep and rich if you didn't see that as a passion. Yeah. You know what I mean? To make good something that was wrong or lost, if you understand. Yeah. So that's the emotion I was feeling. And I'm I'm now like talking to myself saying, wow, Aaron, you've really picked some rocky roads along the way. But it's been a passionate journey that I'm still so in love with. Back to the willingness. Uh, that if I were to tell me or Aaron or another person starting this journey, it's like, been through the doing, and these are the trinkets of financials and 
trophies or accolades or someone honoring me to speak and listen to me. I honestly think I'm not worthy to give any advice. All I can tell you is just my experiences. I've lived a full life because I enjoyed that struggle and I just took it on and I'll keep taking it on and I hope I never lose that willingness to bounce back because it's in the bouncing back is where the pleasure is. That's the juice, you know. But unfortunately, some of us now go, okay, let me just go back up one more time just to see, you know. Don't do those parts if you can avoid them, of course. But they will come because you're trying to grow your business. You're trying to grow your impact. You, you can't get to areas you've never experienced by not risking what you've already done, hmm. unfortunately, you know. So my advice would be that. And, and, and secondly, I would say entrepreneurship is not a lonely journey, but it's a journey you have to do alone. Because when you are happy with being alone and expressing yourself in this authentic way that we do now, all of us will try something different or try something that may not be really funny because a lot of people will be like, why are you doing that? You don't get paid for it for years. You need other like-minded people on the journey. And so it's not a lonely journey, honestly. But it does need you to be alone with that feeling. Because like I started with some of the relationships I've had that have been so significant teaching in my life. People just never saw it for me because they couldn't see it for themselves. Oh, my cat's going crazy on that. So you've you got to be okay with all that. Hmm. And at times, you... Be ridiculed, but the same people come and celebrate you later if you come good. So, just, I don't know if that helps, but that's where the emotion did. And I'm so happy I still have it because the day I lose the emotions, I won't do anything about it. Um, yeah, no, it shows. It, it, it shows. It, you you can't continue to do what you do if you're not passionate about it. Yeah, I I didn't understand my mom a lot of the times when she. Uh, would make certain decisions in her business. And I was just like, why don't you just not do it? Because she'll get a loss and then she'll go again and again. And I'm just like, but why, mom? But I I get it. I I get it now. Until I found what I love and what I'm passionate about, it's like you breathe and live it. And it shows. Even as you are talking to me and you're talking to us, it shows. It shows. But I appreciate you for that. Um, <laughs> let's get into your books. I found one. <laughs> the Economic Migrant. Is that you in that book? You know, it's so good. I wrote it like it was me, but it was actually one of my students. True story. True story. So I thought we were just hiding. Because I, I, I read yeah. a little bit of pages. I was like, is he hiding to be somebody else? No, no, I, I was... It's, it's true to what is written. <clears throat> no, so <clears throat> I used different characters that were around my space that are still in my space. Mm. But the, 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 the characters were inspired by real people that I was interacting with. It's just for, for, for identity's sake and, you know, some of these are war asylum seekers. I couldn't get into their full descriptions. There was a bit of abuse in there. Of course. So, I had to be careful, but there were, there were people there. Uh, 
So what inspired you to write this one? So the students I was teaching on settlement English and job placement training. And that's why I said about my past. You could be a very big international student, but be very uh, elite and secluded from the African people. And when mm -hmm. I say African, for me, <clears throat> I was like Zambia and US and Europe and everywhere else. I never really thought about Africa as us. <clears throat> but when I went to Australia, because I fell into this training thing on weekends, like I told you how I started my training, and some of the accredited courses were designed for refugee asylum seekers and they needed a black face to go there. And that's how I got into that business. Um, I went and met the Sudanese. Eritreans, um, Morocco, oh, so many people, kids, Congolese, everyone, and their lives came to me. And I, you know, I never do anything in, in half bursts, as you can tell, but I didn't have to pick them up from the places they lived. Mm. Seeing how the detention centers were working. Hearing now the real story of how they had 14 people in the family, but these are just a mother who just picked up some people along the way right from death. Genocide. And I'm thinking, Zambia has no people. Um, it, it just opened me up in ways I haven't But it made me more African because I was just saying, Jesus, we're so separated. Um, so I, I, I wrote that book because also, it was like a marketing tool because, you know, when you're working with these government-funded programs, they yeah. material, this and like that. So it was almost like an introduction book to multiculturalism. These days, they're calling it inclusion. We didn't have all these fancy stuff, man. I feel like... I should... on inclusion, hey! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just like multiculturalism, you know? So I was trying to make sense of that, but also say entrepreneurship is a way to go because if they don't want to give us the job let's create our own jobs that was kind yeah. of the message with and uh we we did start a movement man i mean it went into four four uh four uh states in australia and uh, that's the way the traveling started as well just like i want to be more migrants so this is probably why i also said yes to this show it just reminds me of that uh, experience and the migrant story was so universal so it's just beautiful but uh, there's a lot of trauma that comes with it for some people as to why they leave <laughs> yeah so yeah um, so the book was just a tool to open those doors and then people then sign me up and I'll take my facilitators and train with them and just go and replace them and I just loved it and in my mind I'm like I gotta, I gotta go home and meet people in these countries and it's 50 250 story meeting my students coming late and smashing mm -hmm. the I still yeah. do that today I'm still a tough tough love coach I, I, that's what this tough love coach oh god I know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's a migrant story that's amazing <laughs>
Wow. And I, I made it short stories because I, you know, someone said to me once, uh, "Sorry, uh, you know, how do you say?" It was such a beautiful quote that really touched me about short stories. It says, "You know, sorry, it took me so long. Sorry, I ran out of time. So I wrote you a short note." Wow. You know? What they're trying to say is they really thought about everything they needed to say in less words, which took them longer than if you just scribbled for pages. And that really stuck with me about why short stories are so powerful.、Um, so I tend to want to write short stories. Like if I call myself a writer, be honored to be one.、Um, I'm definitely prone to short stories. I love short stories. Oh, I don't. <laughs> with time, with a lot of people now.、Um... They either listen very sh-、uh, short time and they keep it moving. So short stories help with that. And I'm glad you're able to tell、um, your student story.、Um, I read a little bit of it, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is a lot of us in here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. I like, forgot about that book.、Hmm. This is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please take it on, and you taking it levels. I'm just so proud. I have to say, it, I'm just so proud of you. And I, I could have never envisaged my multicultural story getting to where you're going and able to reach so many people. I mean, we need this.、Uh, and I'm humbled. Thank you. I'm used for it. I'll, I'll promote you to 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 just totally shut up, but it's really needed. So I was so happy. I didn't even connect it to with my little book back in the day. This is yours. It's just like Stella, man. Well done. Oh come on, come on. You started. We we, we、yeah. started. This is why I'm、uh, I'm humbled to be on this. You started the foundation, and、uh, we're elevating it a little bit more. Somebody else, hopefully, my daughter gets it to a different level. Yeah.、Uh, yeah. Do、you know, so it's laying foundation for each person, and I'm glad、yeah. that you did that for me and so many others.、Um, <laughs> you are, and a lot of us, to the definition of what's possible. And I, I was excited to, you know, I've told you this before.、Um, I was excited to bring you on. This way, people can really be inspired with your journey. And、uh, when you told me this. No off limits questions. I'm like, this is dangerous.、Yeah. Go for it. No off limits. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good state to be open about everything. So dangerous.、Fun. I'm like, Mashana, do you want me to do to go there?、Yeah. You're like, yes. And I'm, I'm glad you're able to give us that. I, I'm、yeah. truly、uh, grateful. I just hope it connects with someone somewhere in the season. It's all seasons.、Uh, someone maybe in a very different time and place. This won't be too deep. Yeah, I know that feeling too. So it's it's recorded, you know. It's, but I know there are a lot of us post COVID, post crisis,、oh. post trauma, post something. Yes, just need this、uh, tone. Yeah, and also understand, you know, I've got a great bio, but I'm still trying to figure things out. My goodness, I don't think you ever stop figuring things out, particularly if you're growing. Like I'm just in a bigger box now. Like I was in this little box that. I thought, oh, and then I figured that out. Then I moved into another box, figured out that little box was just a quarter. 
and then now have you been able to um like get mm -hmm. on this journey because it takes a long time for for a lot of us to figure it out like how you been able to be in this space because me and you talking you are on a different level and i'm like i'm not there yet just come down yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're there trust me I'm probably right back down there. I have a tendency to step down a bit. No, because I, I, I just don't think the levels in the same way. But in answer to your question, I think the day to end for me is the day I, I stop being curious. Gotcha. Curiosity about yourself, about others. Why do you take that? Why did I make that choice? Where are the patterns? Hmm. Uh, so I think they said, someone said, well, I read somewhere, I teach it too, some level, well, I used to teach it anyway. But the highest level of grit, you know what it is? The highest, like, you know, gritty people are the people, like entrepreneurship is about grittiness, but you know the highest level of grit, the act, do you know what it is? <laughs> reflection, self-reflection. It, it, it takes work to self-reflect. Say that again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so... That's a form of curiosity. Wow. So you just got me in a deep mode, but but it's true. So the point is, like, I, I, I act in a certain way, maybe I'll do it for a while, and then if something familiar happens again, I'm like, oh, this has happened to me at some point. Why, where is this habit coming from? One, is this constructive? Two, how can I then? Uh, put a flag in it so I can remind myself next time to see this as a milestone. That's why I'm on the word of the one when you step a landmine, that's it. Mm. If it's something that really destroyed me or my relationships or my health, just just took me back or off track or off, off, off authenticity. And I'll be honest, I stepped in the landmine just, just recently in this situation in Africa, you know? Just, just got in a desperate situation like I told you already. And, uh, you know, just miscalculated a few things and it, it, it really went south. Uh, but if it went north, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be 10 miles ahead. <laughs> but I'm you, so glad. You, you now have time for me over here. <laughs> yeah, but well, you see, you just opened up so many doors in another way, but I'll never soak it in to go, wow, this would be good at a billion dollars because I will... Oh, you can blow up with a billion dollars too. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And for me, a billion dollars represents a billion people. That's our African continent. Yeah, I I don't want that. Then out So the point, uh, if you said, it's like you just gotta be curious about yourself. And so for me, as you can see, I'm like introspective, rebuilding, but also trying to listen to my own narrative. I'm not a victim of the situation. I don't want to ever be that person. I, I remember that past self, and we talked about our relationship. Sometimes how people are so quick to label you and make you something you're not, and you lose yourself in the process just trying to fit in. And, and I'd say to hell with that, by the way. But you should use some of these uh, situations to do a social check on yourself. How are you showing? Up in social situations, what's mm. the reputation and brand you still bring in the space? Is this still authentically who you are? Because you could change, like, you're now a very different woman to I think when you're married. Yep. You've empowered yourself, in a, and it shows, I can, I can feel it. Your identity is different. So, your old self and your new self, you can't have the same story. Night and day. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, at least 
concrete passages here. Uh, safe spaces are so beautiful because your friends should also now need the time to adjust to your new identity and not demonize you because you've changed. And that's where most of us retract back to the old self, even if we're not happy with ourselves. It's just it's comfortable, you know. So that's how that's where curiosity should take. And then you act on it and go, hmm. <clears throat> okay, lessons learned, change. Or I still should go back and do that again, but let's do it better because I've got experience. Hmm. Uh, and I think I'm in the box more than the first because I'll still take risks. I, I'll be crazy not to, but I can really see more 360 because I'm letting people pull in now and say, hey, listen, uh, what do you think of that thing? The last time I did this on my own and I assumed this, now you're here. Uh, is this what I think it is? Oh, no, it's good. Go. Okay, I'll go. You know, But I'm never going to not go. <laughs> it's just I'm going to ask more questions. So that's another curiosity. What do other people think about my situation? Do I invest in, like, I'm invested in you. You're invested in me. Is it still the Aaron, you know, offline, online? You need to know that. Help me if I'm a little bit off and for that, you know what I mean? And uh, have those courageous conversations. Yeah. So that's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> um all right well said um what are you working on now that we can support you on yay uh <laughs> i'll always work on me but i think i need a therapist for that <laughs> we have uh better help for that better help. I know, no, no. the lady i told you i'll connect you with Carlos. i think you're gonna blow up but you see i can't help you i'm already connecting with this next one but anyway uh, honestly, I can't with you. There, there are three things that I really would love the audience and you to like help me. And this is so funny to say help. I love creating the eco tribe community. I really don't know in terms of capacity what that looks like, but I'm very sure that the diaspora. I think one need to, and I'm a big Claude Mumba, so if I quote him and you think I'm clever, it's not me, it's his words, but he's the man. I'll get him, if you want him on your podcast, I can make that happen. But the point is, uh, but I, I just said that, I don't know how many years we've taken, but he, he, he and I are in conversations. But anyway, the point is like, <clears throat> the diaspora want to gain financial wealth while they're in the West, whether they want to stay there. That mm-hmm. was one of those. But like we talked about, three things are necessary. One, you must start to believe and trust in our people. And I'll put my hand up. I am not the most trustworthy person because I'm still human. And when I am in desperate places, which is recent reminder, I do some stupid, desperate things. But yeah. that does not mean I'm desperate all the time. What it just means is... Two, we need opportunities to pilot projects that are, let's call them African-owned, adding value, all that jazz. But if we don't go in with like seed funding mentality uh, to people who are already on the ground trying to do things, they will never be able to compete and scale with foreigners and expats. Why? We don't have the capital. And... I'll call it liquidity for operational costs to validate ourselves enough. And I'm talking from experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the desperation kicks in and then people start stealing or misembezzling money. Nah, 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 nah. 
up. It's just because the climate just gets so hard. So step one, pick some champions and just go in a blind trade to support them. But don't put everything in and put it in and put with money. Go in as you would to pilot to support them to get to the next stage. That's what I'm saying. Number two, uh, and this is supporting me if you want Eagle Tribe to be one of those, by the way. But it's like I'm just being honest about the situation and the person we're dealing with, right? But number two is when you do invest, don't just invest your money. Invest your skills. Make a volunteer sabbatical type of trip. Don't just make it about coming home, drinking and showing other people you have so much money for the little period you're there, but just swiping your credit card. You know, we've all done this go back home and then you have to work that off to pay off whatever mortgage mortgage off your home whatever it is that you're buying on but when you come home and because you really invested that first step of money into a specific project could be hopefully perfectly closer to your hometown or at least somewhere you can get to then come and spend some time of your little holiday with your family however it is your children particularly I have a son who's Australian you know I fantasize about this but I could make a holiday part business part pleasure and come and volunteer. We need more volunteers on the ground with us because the perspective is so different here. So that when someone asks you for money and you wonder why they're asking for 3,000 kwacha, you think the cost of living is cheaper, but they have a funeral to deal with. Like I just did personally. A coffin alone can cost 7,000 dollars. In in conversion terms. And there's no insurance for it here. Why? Manufacturing, economies of scale. So some things are cheaper, but some things are very expensive here. And business is one of those. So by you volunteering your skills and coming in to appreciate these nuances, I think we'll be more forgiving uh, when people make these failure mistakes like you did with your fish. Just understand you could probably fail four, five, six, seven, ten times before you flip something. Whereas in the West, maybe you fail one or two because the systems and infrastructure are more stable. Yeah. Then the last one. Uh, I would encourage would be uh, in terms of how to support me or people like me is honestly um, at least where I'm at now there needs to be an opportunity where you know people just um, just just get back to that Ubuntu we're giving ourselves ideas on how we can create I'm calling it for now an Afrocentric business course. And who better to come with that aspect than people from the West, but then let people from the ground give you some input. I was so naive. <laughs> and yet there's some very successful people doing things here and thrive with the cold Chinese. The reasons it's more adaptable. I think. The Western way only just won't work. And I would like to say the Eastern way is the solution either just because that's why we want now. I think we just need to put a hybrid of all those and then find something that's Afrocentric and uh, create it together. So, um, Eco Tribe is, is my company, open to anyone who's into the environment. Uh, they can also find contacts for us abroad that are taking plastic from us. We do HD plastic processing. So it would be cool. To what does uh, Eco Tribe do? I know what it does. Eco Tribe is uh, it's a waste management, but we do plastic processing. Okay, so when I say processing, we take HD plastics, okay, sort them out, clean them up, and that's why a lot of women collect from the compounds, densely populated areas, brings it to us, we bail it, we then in the process. This is what I'm working on, but we process it and crush it. 
so it's into flakes and things that can then be melted back into usable pipes. Pavers, roofing tiles, and it's very concrete and things like that. But that's where I'm going. But the factory needs to be built. Uh, that's the, wow! Uh, no, that's an amazing initiative. Um, yeah, yeah. But the point is, like, if we can get international markets diaspora out there going to meet manufacturing companies that are buying this stuff from China, but China is buying it from us, right? So if we can like create a direct channel to some of the places that people buy these inputs and figure out how to customize it for the demand of the West, get paid in the dollars, we can then pass all that money back to the collectors who are homeless kids, widowed people living in dump sites. That's the whole game here. We yeah. don't get paid by because they're so low on the value chain. Right? So it will take an African center business to want to pay them more but you can't pay someone more if you're not making profits as a business. You see, so that's why we still need that international component to say, okay, I can sell this, for example, at a dollar a kilo, and give fifty cents back to the client, and profit twenty. That's the business model. Very straightforward. But if I get paid seventy percent, seventy cents, then I can't give that fifty cents because machinery alone will eat it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So there's just these helps that. The West people don't think about because we're also so busy in jobs. There. I mean, it's crazy in the West. You just work so hard just to pay bills. So sometimes to get in your car with traffic, kids, and daycare, or to go off to some factory to go help out isn't exactly something someone should do. I get that. But if we could go the extra mile for each other, that would really help. You know? And now I'm talking my business, but there's so many other industries, beauty, uh, technology. We still need that Western connection. And who better than the diaspora on the ground to build that? And I think that's why we're just not connected enough. Yeah, money alone I, is not the solution. I, I I love the the initiative. I we're all environmental conscious. Uh, I think all over the world now with global warming, with uh, making sure that you know no waste is going in the oceans and stuff like that. This is yeah. great. I haven't heard of this aside from you. That nobody else is doing it um, in Zambia, and um, I think it's great. I have no doubt um, for anybody listening out there. I'll have um, I have Mashano's contact in the show notes. Um, support. It's a great initiative. It's we want to be all green everywhere around the world, and I think this could be um, a great thing for the whole of Africa. Yeah, and it's cash for trash, right? So people don't have to wait for my old three months entrepreneur program of theory. You see, and this is where I'm, I'm making my transition. You probably hear I'm making transitions. It's just I love coaching and consulting, but an online course won't help on average. That it only needs to eat tomorrow. Yeah, but if that Zam picks up one kilo of plastic, brings it to us, we pay them the money. They eat, they go to school. The time frame, back to the Africanization of business, the time frames must be shorter. But when they're eating and doing all this, and they see the economy is working out, they'll sit through any course. You see, and that's that's the thing I'm I'm flipping at the moment, which is unfortunately necessary here, which the West people are still catching on. It's like courses alone and funded by organizations, I won't call them by name. People walk out with certificates, but they're still starving. They haven't built their business because it's not just capital that needs. So, if, if people can call into that, um, I think it'll be amazing. You know, uh, it has to be immediate. 
And I'm not saying I have the solution yet, I'll keep you posted, but I've just seen the transformation when a woman goes, oh my God, I turned my compound house into a sorting bay. And you're seeing like the whole community, and it's usually the women. You know, they make three grand quacha a week and the houses are just like organized and all these kids from the streets are coming with plastics and everyone's trying to get the cash, you know. But you see, financial literacy is then it's applicable, direct, entrepreneurship is direct. And then these women end up housing some of these kids. I mean, women just explore these things, yeah. But you see, until a Western or Zambian expat or someone comes and sees that, that's the value chain. It'll be very hard to support it and give it time to work. Um, so straightforward. So yeah, I can talk to you forever. You know, you you and I. Look at the time. I know. I know. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) You and I can talk. Um, I'm so grateful that you were able to make time for us. And um, last question. Oh, I thought that was it. I was like, one. No, go ahead. I know it's not the last question, but the last question for this episode. Uh, yeah, I know. Yes, for this episode. Um, have you found your concrete pastures? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say that in a way that would sound a bit... Mm-hmm. I see that. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, that's what I'm trying to tell you guys, like, when you find your why, uh, Simon Sinek here, by the way, but I think it's goes beyond. The worst times are the most confusing. I've actually seen his presentation. I, I did that presentation for my team, when you find your why. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I saw it on YouTube and uh, one of my huddles in the morning, I was like, let's talk about our why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, concrete pastors, man. I'm, I'm concrete pastor. I think that's even a better word than, than why. Because the, the concrete part is like, it's firm, you can stand on it, regardless of yeah. what happens. I don't know if that's what it was the intention. But passage is like, for me, opportunities, you know. It's the savannah, it's green, or at least in rainy So there's limitless possibility, but also limitless dangers, but it's uncertain, you know. Uh, so the answer is yes, but uh, I would probably put an FES in Australia, but in a Christian context, I would say absolutely yes. But I also like to say I'm also open for it to be more concrete over time. So I'm not forcing the certainty of my journey here to define it as the only way to go. Because if I did, I would still be coaching somewhere else. Equal travel not exist. So uh, I hope everyone else gives themselves the flexibility of what's concrete. You know, like you and I were talking, what's important now wasn't what was important 10 years ago. 100%. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can't say that 10 years ago it wasn't concrete. It was, yeah. just for that time. Yeah. Is that making sense? No. 100%. 100%. Because yeah. now our positions are even more different. Oh, yeah. Was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm still childish, though. Some things haven't changed. <laughs> we know that. We know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. You took two hours. How did you do that? That's so good. Oh, I love it. <laughs> all right i'm so grateful again um how can we find mashano aaron mashano how can we find you firstly i'd like to acknowledge you woman you are a queen you are doing things and 
I don't think people take podcasts to thank hosts, but this has been the most richly insightful, nourishing time I've had in a long, long time. And I don't do podcasts much, as you know, on purpose. So I'm so glad I said yes. You healed me. You've given me time to express even my some thoughts that you've been trying to clarify for a long time. And um, I just want to say you've got a gift, and I think it's one that... Um, whether people tell you or not, people walk away bigger than they were before they started this podcast. And if I feel this way, and I know Ronnie does, I'm sure the rest of the host we do. So I just wanted to first acknowledge and say thank you for doing such a great job. Thank you. You're changing the world, and you really are. So how people find me is they call you, and they can get to me through that, because you're my filter as well. I can't have too many crazy people around me. I'm crazy enough as it is. Like, I know. Yeah. But no, in all honesty, just search my full name. I'm, I'm everywhere. But contactable through Michael's friends. Because I think now God has put me here to focus. And uh, I probably will do less and less things virtually. It's just my people on the ground. And I need that to be a bit more of an example. So yeah, that's just where it's at for the next few years. But come on around, for you, for sure. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> this has been so good. I know, right? That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming. Concrete pasture.